while you're seated in your front room or standing, I'm going to ask you to uh, take a moment with everybody in every front room, every kitchen, every bedroom. And if you're able to, I'm going to ask you to kneel. And I would love to take this moment and just pray for our country, pray for our community, and pray for the people who find themselves on the front line. So if you're able to, would you get up and move around and, and kneel with me as we pray to our Father God right now? God, we need you. God, we know that you are a sovereign God and you hold the world together. God, we know that even in our community, there are those that are stricken with this flu that find themselves um, battling. We know that there's parts of our world and even our country, God, that many find themselves on ventilators. So God, I ask you to do what only you can do, that you would halt this virus. God, that you would move into these crevices and dark places of our world where people have no hope and you would bring hope and God you would flood their hearts with peace and strength and courage and Lord I pray for healing across our land God I pray that thousands would turn to you and I pray God that we would check our own hearts and see if there's any offensive ways in us God that somehow we are thwarting your hand and I pray, God, that we would humble ourselves and, and that we would turn back to you. And so, God, I pray for all the workers, the, the frontline medical workers, first responders and doctors and volunteers and staff that, that find themselves every day walking right into these hospitals and emergency rooms. I pray for protection over their lives. And I pray, God, in an unusual way that you would carry them, protect them, and go with them. And God, I ask again in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ that you would halt this virus. And we give you credit, God, because you are the God that can do it. We just commit our country to you in the strong and powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. And if you're in that room, would you disagree with me in prayer by saying, Amen. Amen. This morning we continue our series. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Last week we opened it up and we took time to dig deep into the book of Galatians and uh, we uh, found out very quickly that it is Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's not Jesus plus doing good works. It's by his work only are we able to see salvation and find salvation. Keep in mind this, too, as we look in the book of Galatians, that this book was written to a group of people who were infiltrating the church with a perverted gospel. And we saw last week Paul was ticked at him, and he said this. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the message of grace by faith. And so Jesus, speaking through Paul, is going back to this church and saying, it's by the grace of through Jesus Christ that we're saved. For those of us that are saved, you and I can look back in our lives. We can look back 
and we can see there was a mission that God had on our lives, a calling that God had on our lives where he was coming after us. And he had strategically been chasing us since our birth. And we cannot overlook these things. In fact, when we look back on our lives, we can see who wrote the story of our lives. And sometimes in the midst of it, in the, in the center of it, it's difficult for us to see that. But when we look back and we say, wow, God, I didn't realize that you placed that person in my life. God, I didn't realize that we moved there because of that. I didn't realize that that neighbor across the street, you had strategically placed there, them there. And Lord, I didn't realize that you sent that person. We can look back and have 20-20 vision. I believe personally that we're going to look back on this time. And we're going to look back and say, oh, now I understand. I can see, God, how you were writing your story in our lives. A story like that just appeared even on our doorstep this week here at Grace Community Church. Many of you are familiar with what took place, but some of you aren't that are watching maybe from another country. I hear we got some, some friends from Africa that are, are tuning in this morning. And, and maybe some of you are tuning in. But this week in our community here in Goshen, we have a need for masks just like many of the hospitals do in other communities. And so after a 24-hour fast with our church on, from Tuesday at 7.14 to Wednesday at 7.14, we woke up on Thursday morning and one of the very men that was fasting that night went to his workplace, Miller's uh, Sewer and Drain, Ryan Kirkdorfer, and looked at his boss, Nick, and said, Nick, don't we have masks in storage somewhere, N95 masks? And Nick was like, yeah, we do. And to make a long story short, they soon found out that they had stored away some masks that had been placed there many years ago. Let me back up about five years ago. Grace Community Church and the leadership here were wanting and feeling called to go to Iraq because there were refugees and ISIS was pushing them out of their communities and out of their towns and they were fought, pushing into Erbil. And so we were here and we saw the needs of our world and we decided that we would go to Iraq because we wanted to show love for them. In the midst of that, we sent subsequent teams to Iraq. On one of these teams, a whole bunch of N95 masks and hand cleaner were collected to take over to Iraq for emergency workers that were there. And so they were collected. We had someone on the ground here that was able to make a contact with, with, with Beacon Life Home that's connected, obviously, with Elkhart General Hospital. So they were able to collect 30,000 N95 masks and 1,500 bottles of hand cleaner. So the hope was that these would be sent to Iraq. So the team that was going there tried to get them in. They couldn't get them in. Frustrated because they couldn't get them in. And for some reason, unbeknownst to us at the time, five years ago, they couldn't get in. So the word got out that, that we had these masks and maybe we can, God wanted them for another mission point. So word got out, got a hold of Nick Miller who, had, who was working with Homes for Haiti in Haiti and said, yeah, I can get these into Haiti and they'll use them in Haiti. Masks we need, hand cleaner. So in the same way, he got a hold of them. He tried to get them in, but politics of the day they couldn't get them in. So there was this frustration level like, what do we do with these? And so Nick said, let's store them. So they stored them away, forgot all about them, completely forgot about them for a while, 
until Thursday morning of this week when Ryan walked in and said, Nick, don't we have these N95 masks? They go to the storage unit, and here are 30,000 N95 masks that just a few months ago they considered, we need to get rid of these things because they're taking up space. All that to say this, God knew five years ago that there would be time in this community, in these very masks, we got a hold of the incident, incident management team here in Elkhart. We connected with them. We gave 15,000 masks to them. They had been handing them out to Goshen Hospital, Elkhart Hospital. Another 15,000 went down to Kosciuszko Hospital, and they found them ways into Fort Wayne to Parkview. And these masks were distributed for such a time as this. Only God could do that. You see, when we look back on our lives, we can see how God is writing the story. Turn to Galatians with me, and I'll show you what I mean. Turn to Galatians chapter 1, and look at verses 11 through 24. And if you're there in your front room there today, I want you to stand, and you can stand wherever you're at. And let's just read God's word together. Galatians chapter 1, let's look at verses 11 through 24, and let's just see what I'm trying to stress for you today, that we can look back on our lives and see how God wrote the story. Read with me chapter 1, verses 11 to 24. Paul said this in Galatians, I want you to know, read with me, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, among my people, and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see who were apostles before I was, But I went into Arabia, later I returned to Damascus, then after three years I went to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. You may have a seat there in your front room or in your your kitchen or even in your living room. The gospel, Paul was saying, is not a human concoction. You see, those that were on the ground there in the church of Galatia, after Paul had left, We're trying to say it's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus good works. Then you will be saved. And Paul is saying, no, I was called as an apostle, not based upon any man's merit, but on God calling me. And he's saying, I am a credible follower of Jesus and not some fly by the seat of your pants teacher of God. In fact, look what he says In verse 11 of chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. In other words, it's not man-made. 
It didn't become, come because they voted for me. It came because of the revelation of Jesus, God called me to speak this truth. And so the things I'm saying, salvation by grace through faith, not law, not works, is from God. You see, Paul is saying, listen, I would not choose this path by my own doing. It's because God stepped in and saved me. I don't know how familiar you are with passages of the Bible, but Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 is a crucial verse to go to when we think about this account. In Revelation 13, 8, it says this, that Jesus was slain from the creation or the foundation of the world. Now think about that for a second. How was Jesus slain before the foundation of the world? How did he die on a cross before the world was created? It's because before time, as we understand it, God isn't bound by time. He sees the past, present, and future. In fact, this very day that you've walked through or about to walk through has already been ushered through his hands. He's in full control. And so literally, everything that ever will happen on earth has already happened before the foundation of the world because God is fully in control. And Jesus was slain before man was born. Why? Because he is the way. You see, man wasn't around and saying, I'm going to earn my salvation. I'm going to keep the law. And Jesus said, no. I'm going to die on the cross before man is even created. It's all the work of God, salvation. Paul is saying, besides, think about it. Think about what he went through before his conversion. He's saying, if you really think that this is a man-concocted religion... Why would I ever do what I'm doing to get this? In fact, Paul's life on five separate occasions, he was beaten with 39 lashes. Now, you would think after one time, he would say, that's enough. This, this isn't worth it. No. You see, he was so radically changed on that road to Damascus that he withstood five whippings, 39 lashes. The Bible also tells us that three times he was beaten with rods. You would think, if this is a man-made, I'm trying to look at me, I'm trying to get power or money. After being beat once, wouldn't you say, I'm done. This isn't worth any money. More than once, he was publicly stoned. And let me talk about stoning for a second. They would take baseball-sized stones, and they would place Paul in the center, and there would be a circle of people, and Paul would literally be in the center, and they would hurl baseball-sized stones, sized stones, right at Paul. If you think he did it for power and for money, why in the world? One time he was even left for dead. They thought he was dead, but God rescued his life. In fact, Paul was shipwrecked three times, the Bible tells us, on mission trips. Like, how many mission trips would you go on until you decide, well, I don't think this is my calling if I keep getting shipwrecked. Paul was like, no, I'm not in it because of man. I'm in it because God called me to share this news. You see, what makes someone want to endure that kind of hardship? It's only because God has changed his heart. God acted first. On one of my mission trips to Vietnam with a group of people here from Grace, we went to look to plant some churches in Vietnam about 10 years ago, 10 to 12 years ago. And so 
we got on a plane and we flew to Vietnam. And as we got to Vietnam, we would get up in the morning. We would get on some bikes and we would just go out through the marketplace and we would look for people of peace. And we were hoping to meet some believers so that we could share the gospel, potentially plant some churches. On one of these trips, we ran into a Vietnam a young man in his 20s who had recently been saved. And he found out why we were there, and we spoke English, and he spoke English. And so we began to converse with him. And we soon found out that he had recently, as a college student, come to know Jesus. But his family didn't approve of it. In fact, his dad was upset that he was taking time to study the Bible. He wanted him to continue in the university so that he could support himself and support his family. But this young man's heart was so changed so radically that he continued to study God's word against the will of his father. On one of the mornings, he was supposed to meet us the next morning and take us out into some of the villages. We didn't know him from Adam prior to this time. And one of the mornings, we were down in the lobby of this hotel waiting on him, and he didn't show up on time. About an hour later, he showed up, and we noticed that he was moving gingerly, and he wasn't moving as quickly as he was the day before. And we soon found out that that morning, his father had beat him because he found him studying his Bible. And I remember as I watched this man unpack his story, I thought, Now that can only be done because he believes God is real. His father beat his back because he was following Jesus. Paul is the same kind of man here. He says, do you think this is a a man-concocted belief system that I would endure all this pain? No, it's because God has changed my heart and he acted first. You see, the proof of being worthy lines up with with other apostles They died martyrs' deaths too. You see, sometimes people will suffer for something that is false if they have something to gain from it, like money or power. But Paul left all that behind. This simply rules out that he was using his apostleship for a con game. He was rich, educated, famous. He was a Jew. He was a Roman citizen. He had everything that any human being would ever want prior to coming to Christ, and he threw it all away. See, if you look at verse 13 in your Bibles, and look, Paul says, he says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the life or the church of God and tried to destroy it. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own. In other words, I was the elite of the elite. I was was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. He even ordered the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 8 in verses 1 to 3. In fact, he would knock on the doors and ask if any Christians were there and then drag him out into the streets to be killed. He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9 when this bright light from God came from heaven and said, Paul, I will humble you. And the picture is that Paul got on his knees and hollered out, like, what are you doing, God? God humbled him so much, he had such a radical conversion in that moment, even against his own will, that this would change the whole trajectory of his life. He would write 13 books of the New Testament, and he's looking at this church of Galatians saying, listen to me, it's not Jesus plus good works or the law. 
It's grace through faith alone. Verse 15, watch what happens in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 1. Paul says, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his what? What's it say in your room in there? What's the word? It says, his son in me so that I might what? What your Bible says, you're seated in that room, preach him among the Gentiles. He said, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I want you to think about this for a second. God tracks us down before we are born. Isn't that what this passage says? He says, even when I was in my mother's womb, you came and revealed your son to me and said, I am going to mark you out and there will come a day when you will bend your knee to me before he was born. You see, Paul tells this story a way we see it was all God and not man that saved him. It wasn't Jesus plus anything. You see, sometimes we use the word seeker in in Christian circles and we say, hey, those people are seekers. They're seeking out God. And you can see them. They're asking questions. And, and it's like, man, like they're so close. And we got to, we, we got to, they're, they're close. Keep sharing, keep sharing. And so we use that terminology. But Paul wasn't seeking anything to do with Christ. He, Paul wasn't seeking anything except more Christians to throw in prison and to kill. He had no desire to be saved. Paul wasn't a seeker. And while Paul was on the road to Damascus, God came into Paul's life without permission. He didn't ask to be for permission to come in. He didn't knock on Paul and say, Paul, can I please come in? The picture we have there is the Lord barged right in. He didn't ask for permission because if he asked him, Paul would have said no. Because he was so anti-God. See, God entered his life without ringing the doorbell. And you say, how is that possible? Listen to me, because he's God. And Paul is saying, listen to me, this, this religion that you're trying to pass on that, that is against what I told you before, you have a perverted gospel. If you're saying it's Jesus plus law, or buying the law, or keeping the feast, or, or works, it's Jesus plus nothing is how you are saved. There is hardly a clearer picture in the Bible than this. You see, if God waited for an invitation, Paul would have never been saved. This is the gospel. We have nothing to offer for our salvation but our sin. Paul was as lost as Lazarus was dead. It's not like Lazarus was sitting around the tomb saying, I wish someone would raise me from the dead. No, he was dead. And Jesus raised him without permission. You see, Paul was spiritually dead. And dead people can't do anything to save themselves. Can I get an amen in the front room somewhere there? (laughs) Dead people can't do anything to save themselves. And that's why he would write in Colossians to the church, the believers at Colossae, he would say, you are dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive with Christ. 
Let me demonstrate, if I can, for a second. In my hand is a flashlight. And generally, if a flashlight works, you turn it and it comes on. But this flashlight has dead batteries. It is dead. So there's no way that this light works. So this flashlight can't do what it was intended to do. It's just a piece of metal with, with some lithium batteries in it that have no good use. So something has to happen and it can't do it itself. This flashlight can't say, oh, I'm going to put batteries in me and I'm going to become a light. No, it has to have an outside response to make it work. So literally, the dead batteries in it have to be taken out and thrown away. And you know what has to happen? Something new, somebody has to put something new in it, new batteries in it. And when new batteries go in it, guess what happens? This flashlight is, will become what it was intended to become. And that's what happened with us. We were dead, literally dead in our sin. And we couldn't do anything about it. But Jesus moved in our hearts and made us new. And now we can operate and do what he intended us to do. Dead people can't do anything on their own. Can I get another amen in that front room somewhere? That is why Paul says this. He says, from my mother's womb, God had his eye on me. But I love the conjunction that's here in verse 15. I want you to look at verse 15 again. And look how Paul wrote this language. He says in verse 14, just above it, and, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Look at the next word. It's the word but. When God, there's this conjunction. There was this change of action that took place. I was dead. I couldn't do anything. But God entered and he changed my heart. I didn't change my own heart. It wasn't something that I did that now I work. It was God working in me. You see, Paul was a sinner, but God. You see, Paul hated Jesus, but God. You see, Paul wanted to kill all Christians, but God. You see, Paul had no interest in being saved even, but God. You see, Paul enjoyed being lost, but God. You see, the wages of sin is death, but God gave his son, Jesus Christ. Paul hated Jesus, but God loved him and sent Jesus to the cross. But Paul wanted to kill all Christians, but no one can stand against our God. But Paul had no interest in being saved, but God chose us from the foundation of the world. Can I get an amen there? But Paul enjoyed being lost. But Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one. And aren't you glad? And that's what God is doing here. And Paul is looking at this church at Galatians saying, stop it. I don't know who perverted the gospel, but it's Jesus plus nothing. You see, I know people want to say, then this must destroy free will. But I say not at all. 
I believe God gives us choices to make and then holds us accountable for them. Let, let, let me say it this way. He doesn't make us go against our will. He just makes us willing to go. And what I mean by that, he makes our hearts soft when he enters in. And all of a sudden, we can believe because he gives us the faith to believe. We can trust because he gives us the faith to trust. We can follow because he softens our hearts to do so. It's for us to say, all right, God, I get it. You acted first, and now I have a choice to respond, but you're the one who gave me the faith to believe. You see, God overcomes our reluctance. He knocks down all our excuses and slowly but surely draws us to Jesus. And I am so grateful that Jesus saved me. Sometimes we'll say this, and, and, and I understand what we're saying, but we have to be careful even when we say this. We'll say this. Sometimes we'll say, I found the Lord. And by the way, I want to say, he isn't lost. <laughs> and you can laugh. And if the Lord didn't find you first, you would have never been found by him. You see, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In the end, God gets all the glory, not man, in our efforts. You see, conversion is a pure miracle that depends on God alone. The gospel was not Paul's idea, but God's idea. You see, that's what's different about Christianity. Every other religion, we have to earn, we have to do, we got to climb, we got to keep becoming. And, and hopefully one day we've done enough good things that we've reached nirvana and, and we get to heaven. And it's a man-made, man-religion. And we wear, and they wear themselves out trying to get to God. And you know what finally happens at the end of that? We exalt ourselves and say, look, look what I did. I've done this and that. And it's a checklist. And it keeps pointing back to man. Christianity keeps pointing back to God because he did it for us. And he gets exalted. All the other religions elevate men. Christianity says it's because God offered this free gift through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you were in the armpit of sin at your worst, he sent Jesus to save you. Like, that's good news. Paul is making his case to these people preaching the perverted gospel of Jesus plus the rules or, or plus the law and plus the ceremonies that his 180 degree reversal is only the work of Jesus because he hated Christians and he had nothing earthly to gain by following them. So then he says this in verse 17. He says, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus, and then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted. Then he says, the only person I really knew was James, and he says, I assure you before God that, that what I'm writing is no lie. He said, then I went to Syria and Sicilia, and I was personally unknown. He said, they only heard the report that the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. In other words, he's saying this. I was alone by myself in Arabia and Damascus. I was learning and growing in the word. My salvation was not because they appointed me apostle, but because Jesus changed my life. Keep in mind, God gives us the faith to believe in him. 
See, Paul has to make his case with these, these people who are preaching this perverted gospel. They'll say, no, you shouldn't follow him because, listen, some men just appointed him. He's not a true apostle. He didn't walk with Jesus. He, and, and Paul is saying, listen, you're right. I wasn't appointed by man. But I went off and studied for three years. And, and do you think what you're seeing in my life is just because I'm doing it for fame and power? No. He said, Jesus, change my heart. I am a living testimony to the goodness of God. You see, proof was now in his testimony from others. They could see he was a changed man. And by the way, I love Paul's story because it's a great reminder to all of us today. Hear me out. This might be something you need to hear for a loved one of yours. That no one is outside the grace of God. And he can save anyone he wants. If God can save a man like Paul, he can save anyone. Amen? I want you to just think about this this unbelievable act of God. Ten minutes before Paul was saved, it seemed impossible that he would be saved. Wouldn't you say? Five minutes before it happened, no one had a reason to expect anything. Five seconds before the shining light on the Damascus road, Paul was breathing murderous threats out on Christians, and his heart was as hard as ever. I got good news for you that are seated out there. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Keep praying. Keep witnessing and believing. Even if your loved one is not seeking, God can save them. He changes the hardest hearts. Even hearts that are putting Christians to death who didn't even invite him into the conversation. That's our God. Amen? Paul was looking back on his life. And as we look back, that should give you hope. That that son or daughter or mom or dad or brother or sister or co-worker or husband or wife that has that hardened heart that you think there is no way they will ever come to Christ. They have zero interest. They're not even seeking Well, I got good news. Neither was Paul, and God barged right in and saved him. There's hope for everyone. You see, Paul was looking back, and and he's saying, look, look how God shaped my ministry. And he's doing this for you, us, too. Can you look back into your life and see how God wrote your story? place this person here and, and, and then you stopped here or broke down on the road or ended up there. I remember a time that our family, we were coming back, I was speaking at a conference down in western Kentucky and on our way back we were getting gas in our van and our children were with us and Ann was with me and we had to get some gas and we got some snacks and, and as we walked into the gas station, we're just on our way home. I walk in and and, and, and there was a lady behind the counter, and the, 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 the gas station was pretty busy. The convenience place was pretty busy. And as I was walking in, 
I just felt compelled to share the gospel. You, you know what I'm saying. There's those moments when you just want to say, I just feel like God wants to share. And so I, I, I began a conversation with this lady. And, and, and within about a minute, there were people behind me. I, I, I said to her, I said, ma'am, I, said, I just feel like I need to add to you. I feel like you, need, you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And she said, I do. And it was like, like three minutes of conversation. I had never met her. We were on our way back to Indiana. And I said, well, ma'am, this is how you can trust in Christ. And I said, would you like to do it right now? She said, yes, I would. And there were like six or eight or ten people in line behind us. And as we're, they're waiting. And so I looked out of the back of my eye, and there was a guy that was in line behind us. He bowed his head too. And she prayed to receive Christ. I have never seen her again. But all that to say this. That's what our God can do. He can bring someone out of nowhere to save that loved one of yours. Sometimes Paul was saying there's these alone times that you have. And he felt very alone for these three years. When Paul met Jesus, he didn't spend much time with anyone. He went off to a desert alone, if you look at this text. But during that time, Jesus was preparing him to share the gospel and plant churches. Sometimes in your alone time, Jesus becomes more real to you. Wouldn't you agree with that? Even what we're in right now during this coronavirus, COVID-19, aren't you finding yourself asking more, boy, God, are you real? God, are you out there? You're being forced to slow down and ask the question, where is God? It's sometimes in those alone times that we have to ask this question. I am not in control of my life anymore, and, and, and God, I need you. Sometimes being surrounded by excited Christians all the time can keep you from realizing that you have really never had your own salvation experience with the Lord. You are only sharing in the excitement of others. But listen to me, you cannot piggyback off the faith of someone else's experiences with God. You cannot be saved by your mom's faith or your dad's faith. You're not saved by going to church. It's not saved by doing the law or keeping the Ten Commandments. It's not saved by keeping the, the feast. Or, uh, uh, it's, it's only through trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, some people have been exposed to the gospel but not really penetrated by it. We often see this. Is your faith just as vibrant when you're pulled away from your home or town that you're living in? Is your faith just as vibrant when you go off to college and leave home and now you're not going to church because your mom and dad aren't forcing you to go? You see, sometimes when we're by ourselves is when we really realize, am I truly born again? You see, if you keep surrounding yourselves with believers who are excited by, by God, that's good. I want to surround myself with faith-filled people. But sometimes you're just piggybacking off of their testimonies and piggybacking off of their faith. And Paul is saying, listen, I spent three years away. And in my alone time, God visited me. And God, God took this heart and I gave you this message. You see, pride comes from the insecurity or from insecurity, but the gospel gives you security. Before salvation, he was driven by pride and power. Look at me, look at me. But after salvation, he was driven by the gospel and the security and his identity in Jesus alone. 
Show me someone who's insecure, I'll often show you someone that struggles with pride. Show me someone who has security, I'll show you someone who trusts in their identity in Jesus Christ. You see, I don't doubt my salvation. I flourish from it. I trust in his eternal grip and salvation. It's because it's all the work of God. And if God loved me enough to send someone into my life to share the gospel with me when I was five years old, I find great security in knowing that he loves me that much that from the foundation of the world, he wrote my story and there would be someone in my life like I find security that I am in the hand of eternal God and eternal son and I cannot be snatched from it. That gives me security. God loves me. You see, Paul is telling them, this is the evidence. I have met the true God. My hate and fear are gone. And when people encounter my story, they praise God because of what he has done in me. All other religions seek to glorify man. I love what C.S. Lewis said many years ago. He said this, of course, Christianity must be from God. For who else could have thought it so? You see, conversion is the certainty that what you once were does not determine what you are. And what you are does not determine what you will be. Can I get it? Amen out that. You see, we've been changed forever. The old man is gone. The old heart is gone. The dead and sin is gone. And it's been replaced by the work of Jesus. Prior to that, we could do nothing to save ourselves. But now that we're saved, guess what? We can be salt and light to this world because Jesus acted first. You see, if the possibility of real change is gone, then we have nothing to offer but a set of rules. You see, we can look back on our lives and see how God has written our story. And listen to me, it's all grace, it's all grace, it's all grace. We can't get to him by keeping the law or anything else. It's Jesus plus nothing. The truth is, when I pause to consider how much Jesus has done for me, I am wrecked by his love. Even when I realize in uncertain times like we face now that God loves me this much, then I just choose to believe in the God of the Bible and fully trust him because he is behind the scenes working his plan out for us. And we will look back on this time and say, wow, look how God was storing something away five years ago to say, I'm real, I'm here, I acted first. You see, because of that, you and I can believe in our God, can't we? He's the God that was resurrected. He's the God that was sent to the cross. And when we believe in him, security comes in that identity. I'm going to ask you to do something where you're at right now. As Pastor Jeremy comes and the worship team comes, I'm going to ask you to stand. 
And we're gonna declare a song of truth right now. And this song has these words, just, just listen to them. And you're gonna declare them with Pastor Jeremy. In this time of desperation, when all we know is doubt and fear, there is only one foundation. We believe, we believe. In this broken generation, when all is dark, you help us see there is only one salvation. We believe, we believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit. And he's given us new life. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe that he conquered death. We believe in the resurrection. And he's coming back again. We believe. We believe.